let's be really honest, it was quite an undertaking for us. In the years past, the last couple of years, we have served Thanksgiving dinners to over 30 families. And I was just, you know, one of those things. I got kind of thinking, well, if we could do 30, why can't we do 50? You know, I mean, I don't know. Is that, I don't know how that works. But I just felt like, well, let's do 50. So we, we just said we're going we're gonna to serve Thanksgiving for 50 families. And we actually did 52 families. So we had complete Thanksgiving dinner with a turkey or a ham. Um, we had a, a word of encouragement, uh, a, a card with a word in every box. We had prayer people here pr- praying for people, and you guys got that all done, and it was pretty awesome. And we did it in the rain and in the cold. and it, what a, You guys really, really are pretty awesome in that way. So God bless you. Thanks so much for, for helping make that possible. Most of you were here today. If you weren't here, you missed out. It really was a, a, it's a lot of fun. It really is one of the most fun things we do. You, uh, you get to just be with people and talk with them, pray with them, and, and it was uh, it was very very exciting. I appreciated what what Mike shared, and it, it was it was a great deal. So thank you guys. It really means a lot to me that as a as a fellowship, we were able to do that and to serve our community and to make things like this possible. So you guys are great. Um, I think that's all I have. I guess I will say this. Yeah, thanks for the plug on Nicaragua. Uh, if, if you guys, several of you have told me you're interested in going to Nicaragua with me next summer. If you are, uh, there's actually an application for that trip. They're available at the back. Pick one up. Take it with you. I don't need those right away, but I would like to get them in and kind of see a team form as soon as possible. And, and Elliot was right. It is a lot of money. It's, it's roughly $1,500. Any of you that travel at all are, are aware that airfare has gone up quite a bit in the last year or so. Uh, we used to go to Nicaragua for uh, about $600 uh, airfare, and last year our airfare was close to 1000 uh, It does go up and down seasonally, but it has gone up quite a bit. So that's why the, the cost of the trip is 1500 bucks. This is going to be a great trip, though. Uh, it, 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 it's not just a missions trip. It really is an adventure. We'll be doing our third national conference there on the East Coast, which is the Caribbean side of Nicaragua. We will travel by Ponga, which is a little, it's a rowboat with a motor, up the river to get to the East Coast because you can't get there from here. There's no roads from the west to the east. Um, it'll be fun. We'll have uh, a team of about 30 from several U.S. churches and uh, all of our friends from all of our Nicaraguan churches will be there with us. So if you've been before, you know what it's like. If you've not been, we'd love you to join us. Pick up an app. If you have questions, call me. But you do need to probably start saving your money now because it, it is an expensive trip. So with that, uh, Thanksgiving is this week, right? Thanksgiving. Uh, today was our Thanksgiving giveaway. So we're getting the boxes out. People are preparing for their, their Thanksgiving meal. Thanksgiving is uh, it's a, it's a unique holiday in this sense in that it's a, it's a national holiday. Uh, it, this particular Thanksgiving, there are, there, I, I always laugh on my calendar when it has Canadian Thanksgiving. I don't know what day, it was last month, I think. I don't know, who, where's all of our Canadian friends? Um, but, you know, this is a national holiday. We, it's, it's an American holiday, unique to our country. It's not celebrated outside of here. So in that sense, it's like, you know, uh, the 4th of July or Memorial Day or Veterans Day or Labor Day or any other holiday that's kind of unique to our country. It's also, though, a religious holiday, right? And it's, it's a little different than Christmas or Easter, which are, 
sort of commemorative of, lo- of events in the life of Christ. It's, it's not like that, but it is a day that we try to turn our attention towards God and, and really focus on Him and, and think about Him and, and give thanks to Him. It's a day set aside to give thanks to God for His blessing on our lives and, and specifically for His hand upon our, our nation. Most of you that, that know me at all and hear any of my political rantings uh, know that I'm, I'm not, I don't believe God is a nationalist. I, I don't believe that God uh, loves or favors America uh, above or more than any other nation or any other people in the world. I don't think that we are his chosen people by virtue of being Americans or any of those things. Um, but, but I do believe that it's appropriate for us. Uh, first of all, I'll say this. I'm in favor of any time, any holiday, any ca- hallmark event that causes us to turn our attention to God. That's always good. All right? I like that. Any holiday that's, that's, that's an opportunity to step back from the hectic pace of life and take a day to give thanks to God is a good deal. Um, and, and I think it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate that, that there's a day in which we, we are, uh, we do acknowledge that, that we're a blessed people. And, and we have every right to be thankful for what God has done for us. I, I, I think it, it's honestly something that we lose sight of from time to time. And in the past, uh, on this weekend in particular, I have on many occasions read Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation I'm not going to read all of it tonight, but I, I do want to point out an excerpt from it that I think is uh, indicative uh, <laughs> of us as a people and, and really ties in with what I want to share tonight. I'll, I'll read this with you. It's just, a, again, a brief excerpt from Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation, uh, and it's, it's near the end of it, and he says, We've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Uh, 1863, I th- that could have been written in 2012, I think. Um, Lincoln touched on something there that I think that is profound, and, and that is that a thankful heart is a humble heart, and that thanksgiving and humility are really like twin attributes. Uh, when you have one, you really have the other. It's, it's very difficult to, to be genuinely thankful without being humble, and, and I think it's, it's almost virtually impossible to be humble without being thankful. I was thinking about this today. I was uh, actually on my way here uh, earlier today driving over for the outreach, and I was thinking about humility being a difficult attribute. We talk about how do you, how do you work on it? You know, what do you do to, to attain humility in your life? Do you beat yourself with a stick or something? And I thought, hey, here's, here's a way... I'd never considered this before. To, to cultivate humility in our life really is to cultivate a thankful heart. 
and to just practice the gift of thanksgiving. And the more that you give thanks and, and the more thankful you become, I believe that you really fo- foster humility in your hearts. Um, conversely, I suppose the opposite is true. If you're not thankful, it would be difficult to be humble. And if you're not humble, you're probably not very thankful. I think that... Um, I think we all realize uh, that Thanksgiving is important, and not the holiday Thanksgiving, but an attitude of Thanksgiving, a thankful heart is an important thing. It's a vital thing. Uh, I think Lincoln's right. I think we lose sight of that sometimes. As a people and as, as people, as a people and as people, we lose sight of that. We, we can easily get caught up in believing that, um, hey, you know, I did this. Made this happen, uh, and it, it's good for us to, to keep this in mind. But but here's tonight. I want to take that a little bit further. I, I really want to look at, and and this is my my uh, my. Let's see, not where, I lost my place. Uh, we know that Thanksgiving is is um, important. It's good. Uh, but but what, I, what I forgot to say that I meant to say was that it's also, uh, according to Paul and Thessalonians, God's will for us as well. He says, uh, to rejoice, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus. And I was thinking about that today, too, that people will sometimes say, how do I know what God's will for my life is? How do I know God's will? I think that's a good place to start. Uh, you may not, there may be some specific things that are God's intent, his will for you, but I can tell you for sure his will is that you would give thanks in all things. And I, I appreciate what Tammy had to say tonight and just the reality of thanksgiving and being thankful at, at, at all times. And so what, what I, what I want to kind of go further with tonight and talk about tonight is the blessing of a thankful heart. And, and here's, what, here, here's what I want to share with you. Uh, we'll come, come back to it at the end, but I, I really believe that there's something more than just an attitude of thanksgiving. I, th- I, I believe there is a blessing that is accrued to us. I believe there's something that we receive from God back when we are genuinely and truly thankful towards him that maybe we don't always think about, that we're not always aware of. And, and that's what I want to uh, focus our attention on tonight. I want to do that by looking at Luke 17. But let's, uh, let's take a second and pray first before we look in the text. Jesus, uh, would you open our hearts tonight to receive your word, that you would bless it and cause it to strengthen and enrich in our lives and help us today and in the days ahead, especially this week, but all the days ahead, to be thankful, to honor you and acknowledge you in all things. Amen. All right, I'm going to look at Luke 17, beginning at verse 11, uh, a story that I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but we'll just take a look at it tonight again anyway. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
So uh, th- this is this 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 little uh, event takes place uh, a ways into Jesus' ministry. It's actually at a point in which uh, he was developing quite a following. Crowds were beginning to gather everywhere he would go. People were following him. They were hearing about him, talking about him. Would go to kind of show up and see what he had to do next. Uh, he had been out now, kind of going from place to place. Uh, doing kingdom things for quite some time. Uh, he had cast out demons. And uh, the way, the method, the approach he took to casting out demons was a little different than anyone had seen before that. And that uh, caused people to kind of, oh, this is interesting. I want to see more. Uh, he had at least, uh, on at least two occasions up to this point, had raised the dead, which once again, um, you know, got him a little attention. That, that usually gets people's attention when you raise the dead. Um, he had healed uh, a number of people on multiple different occasions, and he had, at, at, at least one of the time, uh, healed a man with leprosy. So he had a little bit of a track record uh, as, as far as leprosy goes. Anybody that's uh, spent any time at all praying for the sick, praying for healing, uh, realizes uh, it's always hard. It's a hard thing. It's, it's hard on multiple levels, I think. I believe it's one of the, the, the greatest points of warfare in our lives uh, to, to really believe that God can heal physically someone. Um, besides that, just on a natural level, it's, it's so emotional. And it's emotional because uh, when you're sick, you, 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 you really just, you, you just want to be well. All the other stuff, all the other circumstances, everything that you normally worry about or think about on a regular day, all of that doesn't matter anymore when you're sick. All you want to do is get well. And when someone you love is sick, it's worse than being sick. You don't want anything more than that person that you care about to get well. You hate seeing them sick. It's so, so very hard. And, and, and when you've prayed, and if you've prayed for any uh, series or length of time with someone, you just know it's, just, it's draining. It's, it's, just, it's just draining. It's a hard thing. Well, I say that basically because, really, uh, when we look at these guys in the story who had leprosy, it's sort of what they, what they would say, maybe, it's, it's all that in a bag of chips. I, I mean, le- leprosy was, was really kind of like a scarlet letter. It was, in a sense, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're sick, you, you, you have a, a disease and an illness, but everybody knows it's not hidden. It's, it's on display for the world to see. And you, you, you are a bit of an outcast on multiple levels. You're, you're a social outcast just because people are afraid they'll catch your disease if they come near you. But you also are stigmatized and are an outcast on a spiritual level because there's a whole school of thought in that day that this was a curse of God on your life. That's why you had the leprosy to begin with. So you're, you're, you're made to stay away from everybody else on multiple levels. In fact, I want to take a second just to point out uh, what the life of a person with leprosy is like by going back and looking at the Old Testament, the law in Leviticus, and what had to happen to a person with leprosy. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. You can't wear nice clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean, as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. That's, 
That's horrible. I mean, that's just to think about the fact that you already are suffering from this disease that disfigures your body and makes you look uh, odd to people, but you have to look more odd. You have to look um, almost weird. You can't wear nice clothes. You have to wear torn clothes. And everywhere you go, you have to shout, unclean, unclean, so that people know that they have to stay away from you in case they were unsure about that. So these guys obviously knew the rules because they didn't approach Jesus and go up to him. They stayed a distance away from him and yelled out, Jesus, have pity on us. They yelled to him. Uh, they, they stayed back and, and, and just, just yelled at him. And, and Jesus, in response to their cry for mercy, tells them simply this. He, all he says is, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, that, that, would, that is, they, they would have been completely mind-boggled at that point. The ten men with leprosy would have been saying, what? What? You see, you would go to the priest, the reason that a person with leprosy would go to a priest was after you've been healed, you would go show yourself to the priest. The priest would write down, give testimony that you had been healed and would then take you through a process to reintegrate you into the community. But you go to the priest after you're healed. The priest doesn't heal you. The priest helps you just acknowledge that you have, in fact, actually been healed. He sort of has to sign off on your healing, if you will. So when Jesus says to the men that are calling out of leprosy, just go to the priest, he's basically just telling them, go do what you do after you're already healed, but they're not yet healed. In, um, in Luke 5, Jesus healed another guy with leprosy. It was a little bit of a different situation, and I want to compare the two. It says uh, in the earlier passage, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So, a little bit different situation. This particular man was not as concerned about the protocol as the other men. He actually went up to Jesus. Jesus, though, follows the, the law and the protocol a little closer here, and after he cleanses the man, tells him to go and offer the sacrifices that you offer once you are clean. Um, side note, this is off topic, I suppose, but I can't resist the temptation. Um, I, I think this particular passage is, is one of the strongest... Uh, responses we have to the question as to whether or not it's God's will to heal us. A man said, if you're willing, and Jesus said, I am willing. You know, we, we pray, and we say don't pray this way, but we all do it. Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. And we pray that because we want an out. It's kind of like 
It, it's like a prenup. We, we pray that because if it doesn't work, we want an out. We want to be able to say, well, it, maybe it just must not have been God's will to heal them right now. Well, it was God's will. The guy said, if you're willing, Jesus said, I am willing. I, I don't know. I've looked. I can't find any verses where Jesus says, I'm not willing. So I think it's pretty much God's will that, that we're healed, and we need to know that. But, but my point in comparing the two was really not that. That was just extra. My, my point was simply to say that um, he went to the priest after he was healed, as Leviticus calls for. And Jesus told the other ten to go to the priest before they were healed. Now, I want to go back to Leviticus for a second. And, and uh, he tells him to offer the sacrifices that you're supposed to offer. I just want to run through this with you real quick. Uh, if, you've, if you've not read Leviticus lately, you maybe check it out. Um, it's interesting, if nothing else. But here's the protocol after someone is healed from leprosy. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing, when they're brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. And then the priest shall order that, on one, of the bird, that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it, together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times she shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease, and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird in the open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp but they must stay outside of their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off all of their hair. They must shave off their head, their beard, their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water, and they will be clean. And it doesn't actually end there. It goes on. There's even more uh, protocol to be followed after you're healed, but it's at that point that, that you go to the priest. I, I go, oh, man, it's not as bad as having leprosy, but really, that's no, you know, you get healed, you're like, whoa, this is a good day, but you've got to go through all this stuff after that. Um, but these guys are not yet healed. Jesus just tells them to go to the priest. They have no evidence of any healing in their life. And I don't know if we can really comprehend. I mean, it's, I, I think sometimes it's not fair because we, we sort of project onto folks in scripture and we think well you know have some faith right just go do it just have faith it would be like this i was trying to think okay what would be sort of a you know contemporary illustration just think think of it this way what if there was a really bad recession let's just say there was pretend and you lost your job and because you lost your job you were unable to continue to make your house payment. And after a period of time, the bank came to you and said, you have to make a payment or we're going to take your house back. We're going to foreclose. So you're desperate. You have a family. You don't know what to do. You begin to worry and you worry more and the day's coming closer and closer. And then you hear about a guy. Somebody comes and they say, hey, there's a guy. 
and he lives just not far from here. He's in another town. And this guy is, is a philanthropist. He's a billionaire. He's a wealthy guy, and he, he just helps people. That's what he does. He just helps people. And if you go talk to that guy, I think he'll help you. And you're a little bit embarrassed of your situation, but you're also desperate, so finally you, you say, okay, I'll do it. And you go and you talk to the guy. So you come in, you sit down, you explain your situation. And the guy says, well, just go write your mortgage company a check. He doesn't say, I'll write your mortgage company a check. He doesn't say, I'll give you the money. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of it. He doesn't say everything will be okay. He just says, well, just go write a check. Well, you don't have the money to write a check, or you would have. There, there really is a measure of faith that, that's, that's beyond, I think, most of our abilities to really comprehend. Th- thinking about these ten guys with leprosy, and Jesus, his only response to them that's recorded, as far as I can tell, all he says is, just go to the priest. So they had to turn around and begin walking that way, and then it tells us that as they went, they were cleansed. I just love that. I think that's the most beautiful statement about faith in, in all the Bible. Because that really is how faith works. As they went, they had to turn and go. They couldn't say, nah, he's, uh, this guy is obviously not who they said he was. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, just discount what he said. They had to actually turn and go towards the priest uh, in, in hopes to show the priest that we've been cleansed when they had not yet been cleansed and along the way. You know, that's how faith really works. It's as we go. That's the faith is as we go. We have to turn, we have to take the step, we have to move towards the thing that God has spoken to us, even when that thing just seems as unreal and as far away and as distant as anything we can possibly imagine. It's as we go. I love it because it doesn't tell us, I don't know exactly when or how the healing happened. How did they, how did they, you know, there's 10 of them, I guess they could see each other. How do they know exactly when they're healed? Were they walking and all of a sudden, hey, dude, you're, you're looking pretty good. You're, you're looking pretty good too. Hey, you're, you're, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it worked. I don't know how it happened. But they, they were getting better as they, as they went. It's, it's really very similar to the feeding of the 5,000. Remember when Jesus has the food and he breaks it and hands it to the disciples and they're kind of like, uh, and they, they, as, they're, as they're giving it out, it multiplies. Well, as they went back towards the priest, they, they were healed. Uh, and, and, and here, here's the thing, and this is kind of what I, I want to begin getting to. At this point, the story takes a little bit of a twist. The, the plot thickens, as they say. Um, they're, they're, they're walking towards the priest, and however it happened, they realize they're healed. There's ten of them. And it tells us that at that point, one of them decides to go back and thank Jesus and praise God, and the others don't. And Jesus also tells us that, it just happens to mention that that one that went back was, uh, Luke tells us, that that one was a Samaritan. Now, uh, you remember in the story of the Good Samaritan, right, that, that the Good Samaritan is, is actually a, a fictitious character, right? We, we all realize that. I love that, that that term is used today. It's a whole uh, kind of a, a thing, a Good Samaritan. We know what a Good Samaritan is, but that all this is based, it's like a superhero. He's a guy that didn't really exist, you know what I mean? It's all based on, on fiction. He's a fictional character that Jesus created to illustrate a point. 
But in this case, the Samaritan is actually a real person. And, and he illustrates the point that Jesus tried to make in the story of the Good Samaritan, which is simply that sometimes those that are closest to God are the ones that we might think are the farthest away, and those that we might think are closer to God are really farther away. And that's, that's really the point of both of, of those stories there. But Luke reports that the the one Samaritan decided to go back to Jesus. Now, we, most of you are aware, some of you may not be, of the tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. There had been bad blood between them for hundreds of years. Jews looked down on Samaritans. They didn't think very highly of them. They considered them to be half-breeds. They were, they were people that were uh, you know, you know, not uh, well-respected in Jewish tradition and culture and society. This had been going on for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It was very well documented. Um, so, when you think about it for a minute now, uh, leper number 10, let's just call him leper number 10. I don't, I don't know what his name was. That's terrible. We should have a name for him. He's, you know, but, uh, who? What'd you say? Kevin? No, not Kevin. Steve? We'll call him leper, leper number 10. He is really, this guy's an outcast of outcasts. I mean, he really is. He's the, he is the farthest out because he, he, is, he is looked down upon. You know, he's sort of socially uh, uh, looked down upon for being a Samaritan to begin with. And then he's spiritually and physically ostracized for being a leper on top of that. So he really is kind of the, the camp farthest out. He's re- he really is sort of the lowest of the low. The, the, you know, the, he really is the least of these in every sense of the word in that day. He's, he's the last guy. And if anyone, and I, I, again, I, I just thinking about this, I thought, I can't imagine somebody needing healing more than this man. Not only he, he needs physical healing, but here's a guy who his whole life has been a, a, a life of being pushed out, of being socially, spiritually, physically pushed out, not to the margins, but out. He's pushed out of the margins. He's pushed right outside, and he, and he can't come in. And I, I can't think of anybody who needed healing more than that. Now, I want to I talk about, we'll come back to him, but I want to talk about the other nine guys for a minute. Like you, I, I have read this story before. I've taught this story before. I've heard uh, a number of other people teach this story before. And in all of that, I have always been, in my own mind and in my own heart, fairly critical of the other nine guys. And I would even just between you and me, uh, I, I've been judgmental towards them. I've, I, I've had judgment in my heart against these, these nine people. Ingrates. How dare they? Well, I, what? How could you not go back and thank Jesus? Right? That's what I think. And in, in thinking negatively about them, I automatically align myself with the one. I, I, you know, Certainly, I would have been like that guy. I ain't gone back. Not like those guys who did not go back. Um, 
they were, you know, again, I, I don't know all of the, you know, the detail of the lives of these men. They, 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 these, they may not have been as ostracized through the course of their life as the other guy. They may, they may have not have experienced all that he experienced, but certainly they had had a challenging time. I don't know how long they'd had this leprosy and that stuff, but it would, their life had not been fun either. But this day, this day, the thing that they'd longed for and waited for happened. On this day, their dream came true. This day, they were healed. They were whole. They, to be honest, could go home. They could go home. They could go home and be with their families. They could go home and touch their families again. They could touch the people that, that they loved. They could get back to, they could go back to be with them. And, and I don't know where they went when the other one guy went back, but I'm guessing they went home. Now let me ask, and you don't have to raise your hand, just in the quiet of your heart. Where would you be? Would you go back or would you go home? I mean, my point is simply this. I don't think we can judge those nine guys. I, I think this. And, and I, I, I think they are us. And I don't mean you and me. But I mean the church in general, Christians on a whole. And here's why I because if, if my experience has told me anything, and I, I've, 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 I've been in this game for a while, when things are not going well, when we're desperate, when we're needy, when, uh, when life is upside down, we're pretty focused on God. And we are very much like those ten men Calling out, calling out, calling out, calling out, and we don't stop. And we're, we're, in, we're in God's face when we need Him. But I think there's a tendency. When the circumstances turn around and life is okay and things are good, to go about our business and not call out so much anymore and forget where God is and who He is and that we need Him. And I think that Lincoln was right. We've been recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. And we shouldn't judge this, because I think that they're a lot closer to who we are than we really recognize. So I want to close with this, and this was really, actually this is the point I wanted to make tonight. Everything else was really just an introduction. The guy who went back. As, as a Samaritan, um, he, he may 
have been more to be thankful for than the others. His circumstances may have been a little more desperate than the others, but I, I don't know. I don't know that. Like I said, I don't know anything about their lives. But my question is, what did he receive by going back and giving thanks? What happened to him that the others didn't happen to them? What, what, what did he get out of this deal? What was the difference in his life from that day forward? Because he went back and they didn't. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And he, Jesus, said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. What? what? That's interesting again. Sometimes it's hard to understand Jesus. Um, they, were, they, they were all healed, right? And if I'm understanding correctly, they all had faith that made them well. And why did Jesus say to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well? This is what I think. I, I, I think that what separates him from the others, I think the thing that he received that they didn't, and I think what Jesus really means when he says your faith has made you well this time to this man is that he had a deeper revelation of God and a deeper understanding of the kingdom of God. And he saw the kingdom of God in a way that the others didn't see it. I, I think he got closer to Jesus than they did. I, I think he grasped who Jesus really was in a way that the other nine missed out on. And I, and I think it's... Here's the thing. Look, they all received healing. And they all received healing because Jesus is blatantly indiscriminate in who he heals and who he blesses. He really, he really, really is. He's just blatantly indiscriminate. He didn't hold that back. Um, that's true and that's right and, 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 and that's good. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He loves you. He accepts you. He'll heal you. He'll love you right where you are today, right where you are tomorrow. But, but, I, but I think there's, there's more than that. And I think the thing that the the thankful heart of the Samaritan um, re received is that revelation of who Jesus really is. There's a deeper understanding of God's heart for him and love for him in a way that these other guys missed out on. And, I, and, and to me, that's the point of the text. And that's what I want to encourage us in as we approach Thanksgiving, is that with that thankful heart and that humble heart of going before God, I really, I really believe that we begin to see him and see his kingdom in a unique way and in a special way and in a deeper way. We have a deeper revelation and a deeper understanding of who he is and how he loves us. So um, with that, can we, can we stand? And would uh, the worship team come back up? We're gonna, I'm going to ask these guys to lead us in a, another song, and then we'll, um, we'll do some ministry. But I've got to give them their music stands back. I have uh, Matt, I have yours, and I have a Matt. <laughs> I just take what I want.